Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voitsen, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining us from Nova Scotia is Martin Root. And Martin is the author of a new book called Project Heaven on Earth, The Three Simple Questions That Will Help You Change the World, dot, 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 easily. He's also the co-author of the New York Times bestselling or bestseller, Chicken Soup for the Soul at Work. Martin, good day to you. How are you doing? Good day to you. And and to be specific, I'm in Prince Edward Island, which is the next province over. All right. So we're I want to get the location right, but uh it's a pleasure having you on. Thank uh, you. Uh, Martin, I have known for many years. We've talked on the phone. I don't think we've ever met personally, but we have many, many common uh friends and other authors. One being the foreword was written by this book by Jack Canfield. Jack's been on the show several times. So Martin, thanks for taking the time for being on the show with us. And this is an interesting project you have, but I want our listeners to learn a little bit about you. So Martin Roots, a dynamic international speaker and consultant, is the president of Livelihood, a management consulting firm in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Um, he is the company, the company's area of service includes strategic vision, corporate spirit, performance management, facilitating dialogue, and creative leadership. As I mentioned just a minute ago, he's the co-author of the New York Times business bestseller, Chicken Soup for the Soul at Work, which has been translated in over 20 languages with sales of 1.1 million copies. Uh, Martin's pioneering work on spirituality in the workplace was featured in the address he gave to the World Bank, which was shown in part on ABC TV special Creativity, Touching and Divine. He was a keynote speaker at all six international conferences on spirituality and business in Mexico. And Martin has also co-founded the chair of the board of the Center for Spirituality and workplace at the Sobe School of Business, St. Mary's University, Halifax, Canada. And his clients include many, many well-known companies that everybody would know, uh, such as Virgin Records, Apple Computers, um, London Life Insurance Company, Sony Pictures Entertainment, and on and on. Well, Martin, a pleasure to have you with us, and I want to let our listeners know that they can learn more about you at Martin Root, M-A-R-T-I-N-R-U-T-T-E dot com. That is his consulting website. And this particular project, which is really something we're going to be talking about here in a second, has its own website called Project Heaven on Earth. And you can go to projectheavenonearth.com and learn more there. There are videos and there's all kinds of things. And we'll have those links in our blog as well, Martin, for uh, the listeners. So, um, you know, this is something that you took on because you had a passion for this yourself. You can tell. And when I was reading the book, I could really see that it's kind of set up as a guidebook for people to actually spark inside of them um, you know, what is their project heaven on earth? Um, tell us a little bit if you did it. How did you begin exploring this heaven on earth concept? Thank you, Greg. Um, it's a pleasure to be with you and your listener. 
uh, I speak to the individual listener here. Um, in oh, about 30 years ago, as you said, I was doing a lot of work on corporate consulting, and I started to do some work on spirituality in the workplace, not from the perspective of trying to impose a particular answer called, I know what spirituality is and you don't, but rather as an inquiry in terms of how could we open a workplace to talk about spirituality if people chose. In no way do I want to, did I want to impose that. And I was doing a keynote address at a uh, conference on this topic in Santa Fe. And before I went on, I, I was thinking, <clears throat> if every business in the world is spiritual, however we want to define that, is that what you want, Martin? And I said, no. If we could transform, I mean, truly transform business, because business is the temporal power in the world today, if we could transform business, then we could transform the world. And then this thought, Greg, popped into my mind, oh, you mean heaven on earth. And my first thought was, what? You can't say that. You, you, no, no, you can't talk about heaven on earth. I mean, people will think that I'm proselytizing or have a re hidden religious agenda. Or, you know, I completely dismiss the idea. But it stuck with me. And I began to think about, well, it's permissible for us to talk about the hells on earth, isn't it? The COVID, the... The threat of the environment, the threat of nuclear weapons, those kinds of hells are appropriate conversation. Why couldn't we talk about the kind of life and work and nation and world that we deeply long for? And couldn't we call that, in its ultimate, heaven on earth? And so I began an inquiry, like, what does that mean? What's heaven on earth? Um, I, I literally had no idea what it meant, and I'm not a big reader, so I just started asking people, tell me about heaven on earth, tell me about heaven on earth, with no agenda other than learning, other than curiosity. And <clears throat> I began to see that, first of all, people thought heaven on earth, that there's some agenda here that I have. And I said, no, no, I, I'm not even going to give you any, any definition for me. I want to know what you think about it, what you feel about it. And so then people could relax and, and they began this exploration. And it became very clear to me after I'd asked hundreds and hundreds of people this question, that there is a landscape here that's pretty predictable. Uh, and we're going to get into that in, in, in this conversation. And, and my book clearly goes into the three, what I discovered to be fundamental questions to help people get at what heaven on earth is for them. Mm -hmm. uh, let me underline again, Greg, that I do not come in with the answer, I know what heaven on earth is and you don't. That's I think I think it's such a big question that you provide a framework. And mm -hmm. if there's anything that I, I think the book does is it provides a framework for people to work in. And it's so important because, you know, when you take a big concept like this, if you don't have somebody helping you kind of distill it down, which is what you've done, and given it the three objectives, which it has, um, you know, you talk about relationships and outer and inner and, and that's really important. And, you know, you know, in the introduction of this book, you state that humanity is at a crossroads regarding the straight state of the world, hunger, poverty, financial collapse, all the things that we're seeing now, COVID. You mentioned that this can be that we could change our story. 
and it needs to engage us at our deepest core. And I really, really get this, right? And I, my listeners will as well. If we don't change the story that we tell ourselves, we can never change the world. So it is at its core, per, at its core level, we've got to change our own story. So how do you propose that we re-envision who we are as humans and as humanity? So you said something, uh, you know, that for me is clearly just as important, namely the story, that we live within a story and we see through a story. You know, life is hard and that's the way it is. Life is wonderful and that's the way it is. People live through a story. What we don't realize, because we're like fish in an aquarium, we don't uh, realize that the water is all around us. The story is all around us. Once we can begin to see that the story, in essence of humanity, has been, yes, we can have some heaven on earth, but we can't really have heaven on earth. We can't really have this world work, because there's too much stuff that proves that it doesn't work. Once we see that that's the fundamental operating system, the fundamental story, then we have an, an ability to change that story. So then the question becomes, well, what does it mean to change a story? The way you change a story is by declaration, by saying so. For example, I used to say for years, I'm not a writer, I'm not a writer. And then it dawned on me, I am a writer. That's me saying that. We forget, Greg, the power that we have the agency that we have, the authority that we have through giving our word to say, this is the new story. So suppose that you say the new story of my life of the world is co-creating and experiencing heaven on earth. Suppose you say that right now as you're listening to that, and then you begin to live each day out of that. Well, what will happen after a while? It's like changing a big oil tanker at sea. It doesn't change instantly. But over time, that oil tanker takes a new direction. That's what I'm suggesting that we individually and collectively need right now, because I think that we're in somewhat of a trouble and we're at a fork in the road. I want to rehabilitate our relationship with our word, with the agency that we have to give our word, or the kind of story that we can and will live. Yeah, and I I, I echo that in uh, the book Sapiens because you know we are the sum total of our collective imagination, and we can create what we want. So, in other words, we've but we've got to believe that. And I think the challenge comes in in. Uh, taking, let's just say it this way, taking our belief to a knowing so that we know that's what it is. How do we create this global story or consciousness that we will have an impact on the issues of the current times? Because that's really at the core issue of Project Heaven on Earth. That's the core issue of the questions because that is such a, a big global thing. In other words, we as individuals collectively in this ecosystem that we've created are now going to go about as those ecosystems and attempt to merge with a larger ecosystem, which is going to have an impact on some big areas, the environment, poverty, education, finance, whatever it might be, whatever we're choosing to do. So how do you propose 
that we help raise that level of consciousness as individuals? Let me give you another way of looking at it, and and I don't mean to be disrespectful here, but the notion of you have to believe that you can do something in order to do it. In the book, I challenge that notion, Greg, because if we can if we only set out to do that which we believe we can do, then we'll only do what lies within our belief system. So if we say we want heaven on earth, but we don't believe that's possible, it's too big, I can't do it, I'm just a single guy, a single woman, I was born here, I was raised, whatever issue we have about not having agency, then we'll wait for the belief to come, and we can't afford that right now. There's another way of looking at it, which is, think of a time in your life when you did something that you didn't believe was possible, that you didn't believe you could do. Or think of somebody in your life who has done something, and after which they say, wow, that's incredible. I didn't believe I could do that, and I did it. But how could they say that? It's because belief is fine, but it isn't necessary. You don't have to believe that you can have heaven on earth in order to begin along the path. What you need to do is commit to just, you can even say, look, I don't even believe this is possible, and I'm going to do it. That gives you enormous freedom. Rather than saying, I don't believe this is possible, well, then that's the end of the story, because I have to wait for the belief to come. No, you don't. You can start this moment listening to this broadcast saying, you know what? Okay, I'm in. I'm a heaven maker. I am giving my word that I'm going to create heaven on earth. And then you start. How do you start? With the smallest, simplest, easiest action you can take in the next 24 hours. And that's very important because I don't want you to think, oh, heaven on earth, it's too big, it's impossible. No, because that stops you. I want you to say, okay, I'm going for it. Here's one tiny little thing I can do. I had a woman once in, in Mexico, and her Heaven on Earth project was to smile at two people a day. She said, I can mm-hmm. do that. That's easy. Of course. I'm a woman in, in Hawaii who adds her definition of Heaven on Earth. It's embedded in every email that she sends out, and she asks people, what's Heaven on Earth for you? The simplest thing, action that you can take, gets you, by your definition, into the game. But she did, but when you say that too, she also changed the tiny habit, as BJ Fogg would say. We all have to change new habits. She wanted to smile at two people a day. And, and I think all of us smiling at two people a day would be a great project because that brings more joy. That brings more happiness to us and to the other person. Now, you speak. And, and what, what I want to find out. See, I, I want people to read this book, not as a book, but really, as somebody just said recently to me, as a discovery journal. That's what so it that, is. That's yeah, really, I mean, yeah. it's, it's a place where people can journal. It's a place where people can write their notes. It's nice and big. It's bigger than almost every other book people are going to get because it's more like a guidebook. I'm not going to call Correct. it a workbook because it every, you know, the, the connotation that, oh my gosh, I'm going to create heaven on earth and it has to be work. No, it does require thinking. So this is a thinking book. This book gets you to think. It asks you the right questions. And, you know, you speak in chapter two about the work of humanity. And you cite Rob Lehrman, the former president of Fitzer Institute, is saying, what is the common work of humanity? 
What in your estimation is that work, uh, Martin? I think at this point in the evolution of humanity, our work is to help co-create heaven on earth. It's as simple and as direct as that. Rob Lehman's question was, I thought, one of the most profound questions I've heard in my life. What is the common work of humanity? I mean, I remember like, holy mackerel, how could you even think of such a thing? It's fantastic. And then my answer to him was, well, all right, heaven on earth. I mean, do we want the wars? Do we want the COVIDs? Do we want the the political turmoil? No. But you, you can either say, okay, well, there's nothing I can do about it. And if we have 7 billion people saying there's nothing I can do about it, you have the state of the world as it is. But if you say, okay, I am going to do something starting today, a tiny little act, you're in. Yeah, it's a, it's our contribution to mankind. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's all about contribution because it's whether it's a tiny act that you were talking about where the lady was going to uh, smile at two people a day or it's being kind to somebody by you know, paying it forward or whatever it might be, all those acts of kindness and compassion make a difference. And and there's other things you can do as well. So you state that Project Heaven on Earth can unleash and engage us in our deepest longings. And you use that word a lot. And I like it. Actually, Thomas More uses the word longings. Um, And I think if people think about that word, they'll say, hmm, you know, wh- what does longing mean? Can you explain your vision for Project Heaven on Earth? What is the vision for this? I want to answer that in two parts. I, I love how you picked up that word longing, Greg. Um, it- it- for me, it's the soul saying, this is what I need to fulfill myself. Mm-hmm. Not the mind, not the ego, but the soul. And so for me, when I saw years ago all this suffering in the world that would that was driving me crazy because it was unnecessary, made me really angry. I said, okay, what am I going to do about it? Let's create a new story. How do we do that? By starting, by saying so and by starting. And you can imagine people at the beginning saying to me, what are you, nuts? That's too big. That's too impossible. So to answer your question, for me, heaven on earth is that humanity that individuals and humanity as a collective gets that our new story is the co-creation and the experiencing of heaven on earth that to me that's my heaven on earth Um, and in the process i would presume it is eradicating eliminating or reducing however you want to look at it these problems and turning them into something where those problems disappear. Um, very, because the, very, the pro- huh? Yes, it, the sufferings. Yeah, the sufferings. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not to make them better, which is wonderful, and there's so many people doing incredible stuff on reducing sufferings. I'm adding another aspect to it, which is ending the sufferings. In well, the Buddha book- said there is suffering, and then there's the end of suffering. But the end of suffering occurs, as you said, in the mind. Because it's how you look at everything. So you could look, you really could look at the problems and say, well, they're problems. They're part of karma. This is the way it goes, <laughs> you know. Um, and, but what you're asking to do is to take some action. And I think that's good yeah. because you're not going to change these problems 
by sitting underneath a tree and meditating. You do have to take some action. And I agree with you on that. Um, and so we aren't asking you to just surrender. Surrender, in my estimation, isn't the word that just says, well, we're going to surrender to it. Surrender really means shifting your mindset, in my estimation. So you ask the reader, and these are important, three questions, and you said you were going to ask me these questions about their experience on heaven and on earth. Right. What and, are and, the questions, and why are they so important for our readers to engage in? What After I conducted these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of interviews asking people, what's heaven on earth for you? What's heaven on earth for you? These three questions began to distill out. And so um, before we went on air here, I told you I was going to ask you the question, but there was no other preparations that I, than that. I just wanted to get your permission. And so I wanted the um, you, the listener, as we're going through each of these questions, to please pause if you're, you can and just answer the questions for yourself, and you'll see how it develops here. Okay, so question one. Recall a time when you experienced heaven on earth. Recall a time... When you experienced heaven on earth, what was going on? For me, it it really was when my son, who uh, contracted leukemia, um, we found a uh, a doctor and a treatment which did not require that he take chemotherapy. And this was a, a CML, chronic myelogenous leukemia, of which the treatment still goes on after 18 years. And um, that's pretty exciting news to to know that heaven on earth, that you were that he was born in a time where he could just take a pill and not have to do uh, rounds and rounds of chemotherapy. Lovely, really. I was right there. Second question. Imagine you have a magic wand. If you have a pen or a pencil around you, pick that up. Mm-hmm. Imagine you have a magic wand, and with this wand, you can have heaven on earth. What's heaven on earth for you? I would say it's continuing to do the good work that I'm doing, helping people better understand how they can grow transmute issues, grow professionally and personally, um, reduce pain and suffering, and me have a larger and larger audience which loves to hear the messages from the authors and speakers that I interview on a regular basis. Very clear. And then the third question, what simple, easy, concrete step will you take in the next 24 hours to move that forward? Again, what simple, easy, concrete step will you take in the next 24 hours to move that forward? Distilling a current mind map, which I have created, actually adding a little bit more to it, uh, down into an action plan, action steps, and engaging the right people uh, along my, my right and my left wing uh, to help me execute on that. Very clear. Let's go through the questions one by one. Question one, recall a time when you experienced heaven on earth, what was going on? You talked very beautifully, very warmly about 
your son and his leukemia and the fact that he was born at a time when this particular pill was available so he did not have to go through chemo. I want to talk in addition, Greg, about what you did not do. What you did not do is say, Martin, what do you mean by heaven on earth? People do not ask me that question. And I didn't, I've not defined what I mean by heaven on earth anywhere in this interview. So how do you know what I'm talking about? Well, you do because there's what I call an already knowing within you that when I ask the question, recall a time, you go right instantly to it. Mm-hmm. It's what I call the already knowing, at least one time, and for lots of people, many more than one time. Second question, here's a magic wand, and with it you can have heaven on earth. What is heaven on earth? The reason for the magic wand is it removes the necessity of having to know how you're going to do it. And if you don't have to know how, you can just, boom, go right into, oh, I don't have to know how? Well, let me tell you exactly. Um, Continue the good work I'm doing, grow my audience, uh, communicate better, decrease pain and suffering. You went right to it. You imagine a room, Greg, with two or 300 people when we could do those things, uh, sharing what this is. It's, it's remarkable to, to me how people do know what heaven on earth is for them. And then the third question, what simple, easy step will you take? And you went right to it. I'm going to distill down that mind map and look for the kind of people that I need to support me to, to uh, move this forward and get this into completion. Mm-hmm. Those three questions are very simply designed and w- with purpose behind them. And so, A, you have had an experience of heaven and earth. B, you absolutely know, your soul knows, your essence knows what heaven on earth is for you in the world. And third, you do know the simple step that you'll take in the next 24 hours to move that forward. So that is the essence of the book. We do know what heaven on earth is, and we can begin manifesting that within the next 24 hours. Yeah, and I think it's also a realization or an awareness that what you actually are living, if you look at the points, much of it for many people is heaven on earth. Um, it's just they're not aware. You know, they're they're taking it for granted. The questions get you thinking about that and appreciating and giving gratitude for those uh, heaven on earth. I shouldn't say moments because it's really a lifetime of work. And you mentioned this, that when we ask these questions, we might encounter some roadblocks. Nah, this is key. And misbeliefs. What roadblocks and misbeliefs do you believe that the most people out there are going to encounter when they're asked those questions? This is impossible. I can't do it. I'm only a person who was born in this city. I'm black. I'm white. I'm a man. I'm a woman. I don't have this amount of money. I have too much money. You cannot believe what people will come up with to justify how this is impossible. It's against the, the world order. We've never had heaven on earth before, so what makes you think we could have it? If we had heaven on earth, there'd be nothing left to do. I'd be bored. And so I'm always constantly amazed at how, because I know this from my consulting practice, when you come up with a big objective, in this case, heaven on earth, the roadblocks in the way come up. 
But the shift here is from using those roadblocks as a wall that stops you in your tracks. If we let that wall fall down, it becomes a roadway that we can then walk along very simply, very easily to begin walking on the path of heaven on earth. That's what this is about. And and you'll notice, Greg, that the title of the book, it is Project Heaven on Earth, but there's another way to say exactly the same title, which is Project Heaven on Earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's a state of being, Project Heaven on Earth, and a state of doing, Project Heaven on Earth, so that we can have heaven on earth. No, it's it's certainly very clear, as I said earlier, it's a framework for people who haven't thought about it. Um, I, I think, again, it's around awareness. Aware, you know, everything starts with awareness. So the book is a framework to create awareness about how you can create heaven on earth. And, you know, you mentioned that there have been many voices for humanity. Uh, Dalai Lama, who just spoke the other day, I was listening to him, Mother Teresa, Nelson Mandela, and the list goes on. How can the people listening become a voice for humanity? And we, and how can we allow ourselves to speak up for this? I know one of my issues just personally asked me to share the three questions. Yeah. As, and it's, and it's really just, I know it sounds simple, but for years I've been focused on the environment. And one of the things that just perplexes the heck out of me is how come we have so much plastic waste? Um, we've got a, a garbage patch in the middle of our Pacific Ocean which spins around and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And we've got landfills that continue to be burgeoning with plastic that will virtually in my lifetime, your lifetime, in our kids' lifetime, never break down. Um, it's just, why is that, right? You can ask that question. Why is that? Um, <laughs> and it's something that I plan to do something about. That's my declaration. Very good. Very good. Thank you. Well, let me go to your question about humanity. It seemed to me that I, when I began looking at this, that there are certain people, as you mentioned, um, Backlash Havel, uh, Bishop Tutu, the head of the United Nations, the Pope, people who have it already in their authority by virtue of their position to speak about humanity to humanity. And then it dawned on me, well, it's fine for them, but what about me? What about us? What about Greg? Why can't we do that? And so there's a chapter in the book called The Voice of Humanity where imagine that you can speak to all of humanity. What would you say? What would you say speaking to humanity? And also, what would you say speaking on behalf of humanity? And so those two questions in the book, I think, really begin to open that uh, space within us that it's not just the Pope, etc., who can speak uh, about and to humanity. You can as well by just having that awareness. Oh, of course I can. Okay, good. Start. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's heaven on earth. That's speaking on behalf of humanity to humanity. And, and you know, people have sometimes ask, well, what gives you the right to do this? I mean, I just thought it's time to do it. And I didn't see anybody else doing it. And this is what I wanted to do. So I began that, that notion of beginning is very important that we we have, we we think we have to wait for something or somebody or have a belief or what. No, you can start right now. 
You have that authority already in you. Why? Because you are a member of humanity. Well, that's a that's a good point, and I also think it's a a good realization because you know as we don these cloaks, as Ram Dass said a couple of times on an interview that I had, which goes back, which I really really appreciated. You know, we're we're frequently wearing suits or clothing, and we we aren't being vulnerable. And I think the key here is some people might be afraid of this. You even asked, you even sent me back some questions saying such a big question to be afraid. And there's really nothing to be afraid of. You've got to go out there and do it. Um, and like you started this project heaven on earth, um, had you not started it, well, maybe somebody else would have, but the point is you did, you did something about it. And I think, you know, you, you've gone even a step further beyond the book. And that is, this is a great guidebook. It asks us right questions. But at projectheavenonearth.com, you have an e-course, which is free. So you've, you've made this completely accessible to anybody, anywhere, if they've got a computer. And if they don't, buy the book on Amazon, nip now. If not, then you can download it, right? But um, the point is, is that you've made this uh, easily accessible. Tell us a little bit about the course and what you were trying to get at with this free e-course. Well, I wanted to change the story of humanity. And part of it was, is clearly the book project heaven on earth. Clearly part of it is the website. And I thought, what if I gave people a taste of the chapters? So we start with the three questions. We go through some of what I call the gateways into heaven on earth. There are 14 gateways, as you said, inner outer and relationship gateways. Um, and then following that, you will also get a free weekly blog. And I look at <clears throat> Heaven on Earth from all different kinds of pe- uh, perspectives, facets. I sometimes have guest people come on and uh, write a column. Because what I want to do is marinate people in the normalcy of Heaven on Earth. If you get a blog every week, Heaven on Earth, Heaven on Earth, Heaven on Earth, it becomes subliminally just a normal part of your conversation. So I, I envision a day when, well, <laughs> when I get on a plane, but when I get on a plane, I sit down beside Mary Smith, who I've never met before. You know what the usual question, what do you do? Well, I do this, I do that. And then I could say, and what do you, what's your contribution to heaven on earth? And she would have her answer ready. Mm-hmm. And she would ask me and I would have my answer ready. That will be a very, very happy day for me because I'll know that it's in place. And I, I, I want, before we got on the on this call today, I, if you go to Google and put in the phrase heaven on earth, comma, in the year. So I did uh, 2018. Heaven on earth, comma, 2018. There was 105 million results, not all mine. Then I did heaven on earth, 2019. It was 145 million. So we went from 105 to 145. And here we are in July of 2020. And the total already this year is 206 million. So that tells me that this meme, this consciousness, this new thought form called heaven on earth is very powerfully coming into culture. And that gives me great pleasure, great, great pleasure. 
Well, and it should because you're part of the movement. There's a there's a movement awry, and the timing is really good. Now, in in chapter twelve of your book, you articulate some of the major world sufferings, such as hunger, lack of shelter, illiteracy, and it goes on and on. There's plenty of problems for us to work on. Um, and then you ask the readers to answer questions about how they can be a cause for change as it relates to these major problems. Yeah. What are some of the things that you've seen or heard of some of your followers doing to help eliminate? It's always good to put a story with this project, right? So there's plenty of people out there that have bought your book and they've started working on some projects and I'm sure you're asking them to come back and, share their stories. What are some of those stories? Not just success stories, just stories. Yeah. Well, as you said, there are a bunch of sufferings in the world. And when I looked at the sufferings chapter, this idea popped into my mind of what I call a keystone suffering. You know, when you build a <clears throat> an archway made of stones at the center and the top is what's called a keystone. If you should pull that out, the whole structure collapses because the keystone holds everything. And so what I've discovered over the years is that people have what I call a keystone suffering, something that bothers them more than any other suffering. And the contention always is when that suffering goes, all the other sufferings will collapse. So I was having coffee with a friend. She's a real estate agent. And I said, Brenda, is there a suffering in the world that bothers you? And she said, yes, there is. It was like I punched her in the stomach. I mean, she went white. I said, okay, what is it? Homelessness. She's a real estate agent, homelessness. I said, all right, so what's heaven on earth for homelessness? And she said, well, obviously, a home for everyone. But that's impossible. You know, I'm a real estate agent. I work 80 hours a day, 20 days a week. I'm in a relationship, and that takes 80 hours to to, to work on. So she was just telling me how impossible all of this was. So I said, fine, 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 and what are you going to do about it? And you could see this little light bulb go on in her head. She went back to her agency, sat everybody down, 10 agents, and said, okay, we are going to end homelessness. How easily? I'm asking you to agree to the following. When you sell a building or a home, I want you to, I'm asking you to agree to have $100 come off each commission check. All you have to do is say yes once, and we will look after everything else in the office. They all said yes, and they launched a program called A Home for Everyone. Last time I spoke to her, which was two or three years ago, they had raised over $400,000. They have a jury every year, and I love this. So they invite the community, the city, to send in a project, either individuals send in a project or an association sends in a project, to create a home for everyone. And then the jury is each of the 10 agents plus one of their clients. So those 20 people decide who gets it. And and now there's publicity around it. It, It's just, they didn't even think of this, you know, that's just doing such goodwill and, and just increasing their reputation. So I love that. I love that because of how simple the idea was. Another story, which I, I, I just love. <clears throat> I was doing a webinar in heaven on earth. And again, we were talking about the sufferings. And a woman comes on and says, I'll tell you. And she was really mad. Violence against women. I've been to the police. I've been to the government. Nothing. What would you do? And I said, well, Susan, I don't know your financial situation. You could donate $5,000. You could donate a penny. Well, what difference would a penny make? 
one of the other women on the call, Deanne, I still remember her name, said, wait a minute, what if everybody in your county donated a penny a day to help end violence against women? And she went, oh my God. She was a member of the board of directors, the, the woman who was complaining about violence against women, of a group called, I think it's called Second Story. She went back to them and said, look, we are going to create an end to violence. They created a little jar, like a, a, a mason jar. And the program was called Making Change. And they put a picture on the front of the jar of a woman, half her face beaten up, bruised, half her face bright, alive, with the light shining out. And they asked people, get this, Greg, to donate a penny or more a day for a year. Now, you couldn't put in $3.65 and say, okay, that's my contribution for the year. No, 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 no. A penny a day, a penny a day, a penny a day, to keep that in people's consciousness. <clears throat> the county next door found out about it. They entered as well. They raised $2,500 very quickly. This was in Canada. They took it to a group within the Canadian government called Status of Women, who gave them, get this, $100,000 for each of the subsequent three years. And last time I spoke to her, she said, Martin, anywhere I go in the county now, people's first question is, what can I do to help? From Those are great opinion- a Those penny are great a day. Stories. Yeah, you can start with small steps, right? It all That's where the starts. momentum comes from. Of course. Of course. And it always has. But I think, you know, when people start to ask these questions, they start to think of the end in mind. Yeah. Um but the the um what is it? Uh, there's um Oh, there's a term in goal setting. You're looking at the small ones first, right? The little baby steps that we can take. Now, the book's premise, and this is my last question, and we'll wrap this interview up. We're going to sure. give people the the website to go to. We're going to have a link to your book um, and everything else. You, you stated that the Project Heaven on Earth, that there were three elements. We talked about them, the inner, the outer, and relationships. My question for you is, how can we best align these three elements to become the example for others? It's a brilliant question. Uh, really, it is. The Actually, I, you know, no one's ever asked me that before. You, you kind of uh, shook me with that question. If you decide that you are a heaven maker, that your job here is to help co-create heaven on earth, then one of these, and it's, there are 14 gateways within those three arenas, in, inner, outer, and relationships. And each of those has a separate chapter in the book because I come at it from a way that works for that particular gateway. You will find the project that is yours. And when you start going out in the world doing that project, you become a beacon of light. You can say, I'm doing this. Like the woman in Mexico smiling at two people a day. Why? That's her contribution. A police officer in Texas wrote a 28, a 16-page manual, rather, called Heaven on Earth for Law Enforcement. And the creativity that comes out here is staggering to me. A lot of these resources and examples are on my uh, Project Heaven on Earth website. So by you coming up with a project that is your project and really owning that and expressing that in the world and telling people gently, not imposing, but gently, this is my contribution to heaven on earth, and then asking them the three heaven on earth questions, 
what you're doing is you're causing this ripple effect to go worldwide, worldwide. So that's that's what we're up to here, Greg. Well, you certainly are, and I would encourage our listeners, and I'll end this interview. Um, first off, you can find this information, and we'll repeat it again, projectheavenonearth.com. You can also learn more about Martin at martinroot.com. Those are places that you can get in touch with him. You can certainly watch the videos, and we'll have those links. And I'm going to end this on a quote by just one of the most elegant, lovely people who had an accolade for you in the book and a testimonial who has since passed. And it says, when I first heard Martin speak about heaven on earth years ago, it honestly seemed too mystical to me. But now I love it. I love the whole field you've established for all of us. Thanks, Martin, for being such a key part of the new story. Barbara Marks Hubbard, visionary social innovator and evolutionary thinker. There was probably no one as great and as wonderful as Barbara Marks Hubbard. Uh, Martin, blessings to you and all that you're doing to help people create heaven on earth, not only for themselves, but everybody else. It's an honor to have had you on the show, and I appreciate you taking the time with my listeners. And um, all I can say is blessings to you. Thank you, Greg. Thank you for the work you're doing, and thank you to the listener, to you, who will decide to be a heaven maker and create that more of that in our world. We need you.